I know some of you have been concerned, so I'll give you an update. Um, I mentioned last week that our uh, terrible tragedy had overcome our house, our fibre optic Christmas tree had broken. It's still standing, but it's not lit up. Well, I'm really pleased to let you know that um, due to my complete, I don't care, um, attitude, my wife was able to resurrect it, um, and it's now lit up again. Um, Just one of those little cheapo AA battery... um, lights that we threw on top of it. So the fibre optics don't work, but we, we came up with another plan. When I say we, I mean Kath, um, came up with another plan and we now have lights back on the Christmas tree. And they're those LED type of lights, so uh, they don't take a lot of power, don't have to keep changing the AA batteries. That's another joy of Christmas time, isn't it? The amount of AA batteries that you go through. Um, I noticed the other morning I got up um, pretty early, the dogs were ruining something, and I got up and um, sitting and having a read, and the sun came up, and I walked out and I thought, oh no, the lights, the lights are broken again, what a tragedy, Um, they weren't working again, and I started mucking around because I thought, that's what a good husband will do, Um, I know it brings joy to my wife, I'll try and fix these ones at least. And so I started trying to fix them and then uh, I couldn't. And Kath came out and I said, oh, the lights aren't working again. The problem was, of course, that the sun had just came up, was shining through the window and hitting the tree and they were working, I just couldn't see them. Um, I turned 44 this coming year, so that's probably got something to do with that as well. Um, and we didn't do anything to the lights. They, they didn't look bright at all because we get the full force of the, the rising sun into our room with the big glass windows on that side of the house. And they made, when the sun was up and the light was filling that room up like it does in the morning, those little LED bulbs made absolutely no difference. You couldn't see them at all. Um, however, because I'm also turning 43 and have to get up to go to the kitchen or something through the night... Um, I noticed at one o'clock in the morning, our entire lounge room is just lit up. Something amazing by these tiny little LED lights. And it got me thinking about how much difference it makes to a light, a single light, depending on the environment that it's in. A light in the darkness is very noticeable. In fact, these kids that are heading away on teen missions um, in the coming week... Um, they have a commissioning service and it's the moment where all their training is finished and there's this last chance for them to say, I'm ready to be obedient and follow Jesus wherever he goes. And, and they have this little ceremony where they turn off all the lights. Now, they're in the middle of the hinterland of the Sunshine Coast, away from any cities. There's no uh, light pollution around and they turn off all the lights at night and the place is pitch dark and there's a crowd full of people there And one person lights a single candle. And in the darkness, that one candle makes a difference. And then each kid has the opportunity to hold out their candle, unlit, and one by one they get to light their candle as a symbol of saying, 
I'm lighting my candle and I'm taking a light to the darkness. And it's a very powerful um, symbol, a very powerful illustration of what Jesus has done in our hearts and the great gospel mission that we have in front of us. I want to read to you, and I would love it if you can just read along with me from the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. Starting at verse 1, and we're going to go down to verse 18. While you're finding it, let's pray. Lord, you have come into a dark world and you've brought light. You've brought hope. You've brought joy and peace. And Lord, particularly at this time of the year, even our culture celebrates that in somehow as we and we light up our fences and our gardens and our houses and, and everywhere all around us, we're seeing lights going up. And at night time, it's spectacular and people wander the streets to look at it. And, and all of it's pointing to you, or it should do. So help us, Lord, this morning to see in your word what that light is meant to do. How should we respond to that light in the darkness? Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. So I think I've got it on the screen. Um, If you'd like to follow along, you can as well. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that it's been created. In him was life, and that light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him... He gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. This is God's word. 
What I, what I want to try and do, um, a little bit different to what we normally do, but I thought it'd be helpful to show you the way that this little passage, 18 verses, is structured, because it actually helps us to understand something really significant about what John is saying. I'm not sure that you'll find in any piece of literature a more profound opening passage to any letter or book ever written. I mean, John chapter 1 is just astounding. Uh, the, The way that John introduces us to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and we think, wow, that's pretty good, he was with God. But no, he doesn't finish there, the Word was God was with God, he was God. In fact, John goes on to say that anything that you have ever seen in this world, both with your eyes or felt with the breath of wind on your face or seen about in a documentary, or it doesn't matter what it is, it all exists because the Word exists. Without Him, nothing exists. And He's love. And then He says He's light. This passage is about a light in the darkness. This passage is an introduction for us to Christmas. This is a situation where um, historically the church has celebrated in these weeks leading up to Christmas Day what has been called Advent. It simply means waiting. A sense where the world is waiting for the revelation of the light of God and that the world was in darkness waiting for God to enter into our world with light. So what I want to do is um, summarise this passage and sort of given it eight categories of thought. Now, um, you might sort of wrestle with me over some of the ways that you could break that up, but but have a look at it. Um, I think the first five verses of this passage sort of group together and give us an understanding or a concept. In fact, lots of Bibles might give it a little paragraph break after verse 5. And it explains that the Word is is God, that He is the, the agent of creation, He's the one who created all things, and that He is both life and light. So you get this introductory paragraph about the wonder of who Jesus is. And then, in verses 6 through 8, you have this little passage about... Um, John the Baptist. Now, this is not John who writes this letter, this this book. This is John the Baptist he's describing now. So verse 6 there, after talking about God and, and who He is and He's with God and He is God and He's life and He's light and He's the agent of creation, He all of a sudden says, oh, and there's a man named John the Baptist. It sort of seems like a bit of an odd shift in his opening paragraph, his opening thoughts. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. So in verses 6 through 8, you get a bit about this man John, John the Baptist we call him. Um, And he was testifying, right? That's what this is about. He's saying, this is the light. And and he's explaining, um, John's not the light, right? He's there to point people to the light. That's what his job was. And so we have John the Baptist testifies. And then he switches back to, in verse 9, well, if John's not the light, who was the true light? And so you have this little statement about uh, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he's giving us a taste for who this Jesus 
is going to be. And so we've got this true light. Uh, Verses 10 and verse 11, you have a statement about the fact that this true light was rejected by the world and his own people. So the light has come into a dark world, he says, but his own people, the Jewish people, they they didn't see the light. They rejected the light. And in fact, he says, the world has rejected this light. Verses 12 and verse 13, but to all who did receive him, so some people rejected, but then he also says, well, those that did receive him, they're born of God. This, this is not about just a human will. This is not about just um, you know, someone turning over a new leaf. And, or, he's saying, listen, the world's rejected him. And if you have received him, it's because you've been born of God. Now, verse 14, he goes on to talk about the glory of the only begotten of the father the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and so now we see this jesus now coming near the the word who was distant he now describes him as not only a word but also flesh so a word can be something that can be heard a word could be an abstract thought something that you just hear about but now john uses a picture of this word putting on flesh. He, he is flesh and he's not only distant, not just with God, but now dwelling amongst us. And so we have a picture of Jesus drawing near. And then he switches back to John testifying again. So back in, what was it? Verses 6 through 8, you know, here's John, he's testifying. And then in verse 15, we get it again in brackets. Does your Bible have it in brackets? Yeah. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one of whom I said before me. It's like he's still quite preoccupied with what John has to say. And then the last little bit, the last uh, 16 through 18, it's really about the, the revelation of the Father through the Son. So we have these sort of statements about, oh, listen, no one's ever seen God. We don't know what God's like. But the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God... That's thinking about back to verse 1. He's from the Father's side, still verse 1. He says, He's revealed Him to us. We now know what the Father is like because we've seen the Son. All right, so that's a bit of a summary. Um, so what? Good summary? Maybe you could go, oh, yeah, I agree with that. That's, that's a pretty good summary of that passage. Um, they can be grouped together to form eight statements that you sort of think, oh, hopefully you can see all of those statements in the scripture and you think, oh yeah, I, I agree with that, that's good. But so what? All right, what's the point of that? Apart from just good summarizing skills, I hope. What's interesting though, is that as you look, these start to form a bit of a pattern. And it's, it fits with something that we aren't so familiar with in our modern world, but was very familiar if you'd been reading this in the first century. So what I've done is shown you how this would have been seen in the first century. To do that, I'm just trying to show it to you graphically. Um, This form of writing seems quite classical to us as as we read it. We sort of think, wow, that's quite... It seems quite amazing. 
it actually follows a form of logic, a form of writing that was very common in wisdom literature in the first century in the ancient world. Not only by Bible scholars, but, but nearly anyone that wrote and wrote wisdom literature. Um, it's got a fancy name, and we don't need to know about that fancy name, so I don't bother about it. But, but think about it like an arrow. Um, think about it like a pattern that helps us understand what the point of something is. And it's used to try and drive us towards a central idea. It doesn't mean that all the other ideas aren't important, but it wants us to drive towards a central idea that helps us to try and grasp why does this matter? Why should we engage with this? What should we do with this? How should we respond to this? And so you can see that I've started to move those summary statements around and just put them into a bit of a visual pattern for you and they form this sort of arrowhead that helps us understand what the point of this is. So I'm going to illustrate it a little bit more for you so you can see. Um, To do that, I'm going to try and do something a little bit technological. Um, I want you to notice that the two outside summaries, the one at the top and the one at the bottom. So what I'll do is I'll write A and a little a. Um, Those are sort of like bookends that help bracket all of this together. Um, They're actually sort of a repeated idea. So in 1 through 5, we get this introduction to the Word as God, who is the agent of creation... He is life and He's light. And it gives us this picture in five verses. This is what God is like. Now, it's interesting that as we go all the way down to the bottom and we'll go down to the little a, in verses 16 through to verse 18, John is also saying, hey, listen, if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. And so it's a repeated theme. that two different ideas, but they're both bracketed with the same idea, what is God like? How can you know God? What's his character? What should we expect of him? So there's the word as God, he is the agent of creation, he's life and light, and in fact, if you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. He's shown us exactly what the Father is like. Okay, So they're the two outside brackets. Let's go one step in. This is what this passage is meant to do. This is the way that John wrote this to try and drive us towards a central idea. So I'm going to do um, something. Okay, we're back to there. Let's do A. That's a funny A. 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 B. Little B. Okay. Okay. Uh, verses 6 through 8, John the Baptist testifies, and then down in verse 15, you get John the Baptist testifying again. So, John the Baptist testifying seemed like a bit of a random thing for John to include in his passage, and let alone include it once, he includes it twice, but in fact, it fits with his pattern of where he's trying to drive us. He wants to echo some ideas in his writing, and so he introduces us to John the Baptist in verse 6, who wasn't the light, remember? He's not the light. Just in case you thought he was spectacular, and people did, John the Baptist was the first celebrity preacher in Israel. 
I mean, all of Israel, if you read the opening parts of the Gospels, there's descriptions like, and all of Israel went out to hear him preach. I mean, it became the trendy thing to do. In fact, if you go to Israel today, it's still the trendy thing to do to go and get baptized in the River Jordan. People are still going, wow, if only I could be baptized in the River Jordan. Now, I'm sure it could be a really sort of moving thing. I'm sorry if any of you have, and it sounds like I'm mocking you. I'm not. I'm just glad that you're baptized. I don't care whether it's in a pool at the Surrettes, or in the River Jordan, or a stream, or One Mile Beach. It doesn't matter. But all of Israel, you read the Gospels, wow, John the Baptist is out there preaching. Now, it wasn't because he was sort of giving them a Joel Olstein sort of feel-good message either. I mean, this guy was out there calling people vipers and snakes. He didn't have sort of a um, winning smile or anything. He was out there dressed in camel hair and bits of leather and he was eating, you know, grasshoppers were hanging out of his teeth and all sorts of stuff. But this guy was out there preaching a message and he was testifying to the truth and the grace of Jesus. And everyone wanted to be out there. I mean, there were Roman soldiers going out there, there were religious leaders going out there, there were peasants going out there, there were farmers going out there, and all of them were hearing, repent and be baptized, the kingdom's coming. And so when John, who wrote this letter, introduces us to John the Baptist, he says, listen, you might think this guy's a celebrity, and he had a powerful preaching sort of ministry. I mean, he would have been all over YouTube if he'd been here today. There would have been people buying tickets 12 months out in advance when he was going to speak at a conference. But the crowd's fickle. It still is today. Within a couple of years, John was dead. He preached one last message, offended one last person, and he lost his life for it. And while we can celebrate a life lived for Christ... John, who writes this letter, says, listen, don't misunderstand. He was a great man. In fact, Jesus, what did he say of John? There hasn't been a man born since or before greater than John the Baptist. But he wasn't the light. He wasn't the light. Just in case we get confused and we see great things in great people, we need to remember this is not the light. John spent his life pointing at the light and saying, don't look at me, look at the light. Don't look at me, look at the light. Sometime later, not long before he died, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. John the Baptist testifies to Jesus. In verse 15, we see the same thing, sort of editorially inserted into this letter. And it says, John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This is the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. John's saying, Look at the light. Right? Look at the light. So the writer now, John, the the disciple that Jesus loved... He's pointing us more and more towards the pointy end of his message. First, he's God. This is what he's like. In fact, if you really want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. And there's John. He's not the light, but he's pointing people to the light. He's pointing people to Jesus. So what's the next next part of our arrow? See? See? Big C, little c. All right, verse 9, as we're moving down towards the point, verse 9, 
the true light, remember, not John, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. There's sort of this preparation, this sort of sense of expectation, of advent, of waiting. Okay, well, if it's this word that was with God, who is he? Is it John the Baptist? He's amazing. No, it's not John the Baptist. He's not the light. He's pointing to the light. What's the true light? Well, he's coming. The true light's coming, John says. He's coming into the world. And he gives light to everyone. You don't have to go out and hear him preaching beside the River Jordan. You don't have to be a member of his little group or his special tribe or his special church. His light is going to come to everyone. The little C in verse 14, the other side of the point, it says the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we observed his glory. We saw it, right? In back in verse 9, he says, listen, the light's coming. The light's coming. And, and that light's going to be seen by everyone. In verse 14, John's now saying, listen, that word, that far off thought, that idea that we had, now it's up close. Now it's flesh. You can see his glory. You can see his light. the glory of the one and only Son from the Father. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. This is something that's hard for us to wrap our head around because we think, you know, even, even me who, who just about failed basic maths at high school, sorry Darren, if only I had a teacher like you, mate, but... But, but you don't even need to be a physics guy or you know, sort of advanced mathematician to understand how can that be? How can you be full of grace and full of truth? Shouldn't you be like 50% grace and 50% truth? Shouldn't, shouldn't you sort of just be able to switch between them? Shouldn't you sort of sometimes be gracious and sometimes be truthful? We do that. Some of us don't really have a 50-50 split either. Some of us are sort of like, well, I'm just running on averages. I'll be the 100% truth guy. You be the grace guy. You know? And together we'll all sort of... No. When, when we see the light entering the world, the, the one and only son of the Father, the one who is full of grace every single time, every single time he interacted with anybody on this earth, any time that he interacts with anyone, even now, he is 100% always full of grace. Is that the picture of Jesus that you have in your mind? But he's also 100% full of truth. And in a way that seems to just bend my capacity to think about it, both of those things exist together all the time. They never cancel each other out. One never takes precedence over the other. Every interaction with Jesus is always 100% truth. But always comes with 100% grace. And we've seen his glory, John says. The light that was coming, we've seen it. 
the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So what's the point of all of this? Well, this is what John is driving us to. The central idea in this arrow, that's Mark D. Oh my goodness. I also failed handwriting. All right. D and little d. Chapter, 10, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. This light, he's in the world now, right? He's in the world. And the world was created through him. See what John's doing? He's exactly setting up the absolute tragedy of Christmas. We think of Christmas as being some great moment of celebration and triumph. And it is. But John wants to paint a picture of the, the absolute tragedy of Christmas. That in a dark place, the light shone in. And this wasn't just some far away dark place. John says he was in the world and the world was created through him. This was his world. Precious possession. And he said, I'm here. Place that he created and crafted with his hands. And it was his precious possession. And he said, I'm here. I'm here to be with those that I made, my children. I am their master. I am their father. I John says, and yet the world did not recognize him. The world did not recognize him. The light, the word, he came in flesh. He's the glory of the only begotten. He is the image of the Father. He shows us what it like, is like to live with grace and truth. And he says, I am here. A light in the darkness. And we didn't recognize him. A bit like me walking down in the morning, the sun shining through onto our Christmas tree. The lights are there. They're on. They're blazing. And I recognize them. I can't see them. There's a part of Christmas that we have to settle in with the fact that The Christmas story is a story also of tragedy. Of a world that had the opportunity, our own hearts, to have the opportunity to see the light of God shine into a dark place and not even see it. To to be completely oblivious to it. To not recognize what was happening. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But verse 10 says, the world rejected him. What about those to whom he was sent, his own people, his own nation, who for generations upon generations, by prophet, by king, by priest had been prepared and readied to accept their Messiah. Verse 11 says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. God says, Here is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And people said, Where? Isn't that just Mary's boy? Isn't that just that kid? that worked in his dad's carpentry shop? 
And eventually they would say, we will not have this man. We will not have this man reign over us. Who do you think you are? And they flogged him and they spat on him and they beat him and they crucified him. And that's the tragedy of Christmas. But to all who did receive him, right? There's that, there's that word again that I love in the scriptures, but, but. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And that's the joy of Christmas. There is tragedy there. But there's this great moment of celebration and joy that we get to proclaim from stages and with carols and with messages and with conversations and with talks with your neighbor over the fence or whatever it may be, that there is a tragedy of rejecting God. But this is John's point. This is what he's driving us to. What do we do with the light? How do we receive and respond to the light? And it's the question that has plagued humanity ever since its creation. What do we do with God's Word? This is the Word of God, remember verse 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. Now, if you thought that those verses reminded you of something, they did. They reminded you of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning there was God. And in the beginning, the word of God existed. And in the beginning, Satan already had said, did God actually say? God's word has always been questioned. What will you do with what God has said, with the revelation of who he is, with Jesus himself? What will we do with that? What will this world do with that? And we will ask that question Tonight, Aaron, maybe, in in maybe different words, but there will be a challenge to say, will you explore Jesus? Will you engage with who he is? And I'm asking you the same thing. Whether or not you've walked with him all your life, or whether you're new in this journey of following after Jesus, it's a question that we all must be continually asking ourselves every day, what do we do with Jesus? He's the light of God and he's entering into our world and we have this opportunity before us this morning, rejected by the world and by his own or received by those born of God. What will we do with Jesus? What will we do with the word of God? Okay, I've got four things to finish with and they don't need explanation. Here's how I would prioritize John's message. First is this, Jesus is the authority of life and hope of all mankind. He is. He is of your life and the life of your family and the life of your neighbours and the life of this community, the life of this world. Jesus is the authority of life and hope of all mankind. Second thing is this, John is a witness who points people away from himself and towards the light and so should we. So should we. I really am confident that the team that are putting on tonight are going to do a great job. 
they've put a lot of hard work into it. They've practiced. But this is not about them. And nor is it about us as a church. This is not about making a name for ourselves in this community. What a great church. We can smile and we can provide food. And if people walk away and say, that church is the greatest thing I've ever met. That's nice. I really hope that they're left with a good impression of us. But that's not our job. That's not the point of it all, ultimately. It's about us standing here in this community and saying, we're glad that you're with us. Look at the light. We're glad to have this conversation, but don't confuse me with Jesus. I will disappoint you. I'm glad that, you speak, that you're comfortable here. I'm glad that you found something that you like here. I'm glad that you've got some relationships here. I'm glad that you had a meal here. I'm glad that you had great singing here. But this is not the point. The point is, look to Jesus. And if we do anything but that, we've missed the point. Third, in a world of darkness, deceived by false lights... Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the true light. Fourth thing, and it's a question, what will you do with this light? What will you do with this light? Not what other people will do with this light. Let's start here. Let's do some housekeeping for a bit. What will we do with it? Reject him? Make it about us? My comfort? My agenda? My desire, whatever. Will it be about him? Or about me? About us? About what makes us comfortable? Because that's what John was always driving towards. And in fact, that's what the rest of this book's about. If you take the time in the Christmas holidays to read the Gospel of John, John continually is asking and showing through Jesus' interaction with various people, what will you do with Jesus? What do you make of him? Who do you say he is? Over and over and over again. And this is how he starts. He says, the light's coming into a dark place. What will you do with him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this season of Christmas celebration We can celebrate and sing and gather together. And it is a season of encouragement and gladness and joy. And yet in the midst of it all, Lord, help us to see the tragedy of this story. That the light entered the world and the world rejected him. That, Lord, we celebrate and we are encouraged and we want to speak boldly because we who have seen the light, The ones who have seen Jesus this morning, Lord, we can celebrate and point people and say, there's the light. Look to him. Help us to be like John the Baptist. In whatever way we can, just live our life to point people to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.